0: This is the last lesson in the book of Romans. Can you believe that? It's been a while, and uh, we're, Lord willing, going to finish that today. Next week, we are going to do another one of those uh, Proverbs 18, 17, uh, where we will have one person present what seems right, and then another person will come and examine him. Uh, We'll do a couple of topics on that. It's Proverbs eighteen seventeen, not Proverbs seventeen eighteen. That's a different proverb, and we're not going to do that one. But Proverbs 18, 17 is the one we're going to do, and that's what that proverb says. And then um, what we're going to do after that, four weeks where we're all going to be together still. And we're going to do four weeks of church history, where we're going to go back to the early church and look at a few different uh, figures and events from the earliest period of church history that started after the completion of the Bible. And then we're going to break into two classes, starting October 16th. And on October 16th, we'll have two adult classes, and there will be more information uh, announced later on about that, okay? Thoughts or questions on the schedule and where we're headed? Feeling all right? Hey, and we got some married people here.
1: Yay!
0: (laughs) Welcome back. They gotta have two seats together because, you know, they're married now, so. (laughs) Okay, well, very good. Well, go ahead and uh, join with me in Romans 16, the last few verses of the book of Romans. (laughs) Romans 16, and uh, the lesson you'll see at the top of your worksheet, the lesson is technically about verses 24 to 27 today. But perhaps you'll see in verse 24 in your Bible, well actually your Bible might not have a verse 24, which would be interesting, huh? Uh, If you have a New American Standard, you'll see verse 24 is bracketed. I don't know what other translations do there, but I want to make a quick note about verse 24. Um, In the New American Standard, it's bracketed, it just says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. If you look at verse 20, the end of verse 20, it's basically the same as... Verse 20, except without the amen, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, Uh, essentially the same. And the reason why it's bracketed in verse 24 is because there are some later manuscripts that have verse 20, that end part of verse 20, as verse 24. It's likely that that's not where it originally was, but it's there in some Bibles to say, hey, there are some later manuscripts that have that part there. And so that's all that's about. So uh, we, we won't be dwelling too much on verse 24 today, but instead verses 25 to 27. And before we do that, how about I open with a word of prayer, and then we'll read the passage, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this great day. This is the day that you have made. This is your day. It's the Lord's day. And God, we ask that as we come together to fellowship, to learn that uh, we would grow in our faith, that we would be moved in our spirits today to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would honor, that we would honor you well and that we would uh, serve you faithfully together. Please help us to, uh, please help us to be faithful in all that we do. Uh, That's our, that's our chief goal is to be faithful to you. And we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, this is a very important section of Romans. It's the very, very last section. But before we read it, I want to read you a quote from S. Lewis Johnson. This is pretty remarkable. S. Lewis Johnson said this, this paragraph is one of Paul's most carefully constructed and characteristic benedictions in all of his letters. It is the longest of his doxologies, and it is certainly the most important from a theological standpoint. Now, if that doesn't kind of get you ready to read this, I mean, that's, that's pretty exciting, right? This is one well-respected professor and pastor saying, this is the most important theological ending to a letter that Paul has written. Uh, now, of course, that's not an objective measurement, that's his opinion, but that's a good opinion to hear. And so let's read this together, verses 25 to 27, and see what this is all about. Paul finishes this letter by saying, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. Well, that is just a long sentence. That's a, that's a lot to take in. There's a lot to see. And I want to start by basically summing up the last verse. If you're following along on your sheet, you see that the first point, it's a very simple point. All glory goes to God. And what you can do is you're looking down at this passage is see verse 25 where it starts with the word now. Well, after... Saying and writing the word now, Paul kind of makes a diversion then comes back to what he's talking about. So you can go from that word now to verse 27. Now, to the only wise God, (laughs) through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. That's the overarching point that Paul is making. The glory goes to God forever. Amen to that. He is the only wise and eternal. You see that in verse 26. He ascribes this to God. He's the only wise. He is the eternal, or in verse 27, rather. You see only wise and eternal in verse 26. Therefore, God is the only one deserving of glory. Who else would be deserving of glory except for the only wise, the only eternal? And we see, too, in verse 27, that if you're going to bring glory to God, what is the only prescribed means of bringing glory to God? What does it say? amen, through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to worship God rightly. For you to bring glory to God and worship, there's no other way than through Jesus Christ. This is an exclusive worship, and God is exclusively glorified in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's, that's really big and, and important, isn't it? That there's only one way that God is glorified through Jesus Christ. That's so amazing. Now, the second point is more complex. It's not as simple as the first. The simple, all glory goes to God through Christ. But the second point is where we're going to dwell for the rest of our time, examining everything that's between now and verse 27. And we see that the all-wise and the glorious God, he is at work in the world. And we see in verse verse 25, rather, the beginning of this paragraph, he is able to establish... God is able to establish believers. Now, you tell me, what does it mean to be established? What are some synonyms we could throw out for being established? What's God's work here in establishing us? Grounded. Good? Yeah. Founded. Founded. Building. Say that again.
2: Building.
0: Oh, good. Yeah, we are God's building. His church is his building, right? We're built on a foundation and it's secure. Okay, you could say that we're fixed. We're settled by God. God has fixed us and settled us, and that has made us immovable. We are immovable because of God's work in us. And we have to notice here, too, that who's the one doing the acting here in verse 25? Who's the one doing the establishing? God. God. Now, this is a really simple point, but we can't gloss over simple points. Sometimes the simplest points are the most impactful, aren't they? God is the one who is able to establish. Paul's call here isn't establish yourselves. His calling is to look to him who is able to establish us. And this is very similar to the end of 1 Peter. If you want to turn with me, you can go to 1 Peter chapter 5. And in Peter's closing of his letter, he offers the same sort of thought. And for someone turning there, would you read verses 10 and 11? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Who's got it? Go ahead. Yeah. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, established, strengthen, and sown you, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. All right. May God strengthen and... And Jordan's version there say, says settle. It's the same word that we have in Romans 11. It means establish. So that's another synonym you could use for establish, right, is settle. God settles us. He fixes and makes us immovable. And here Peter is saying the same thought, may God do it. God is the one acting. God is the one who is able. God is the one who is willing. God is the one who will do it. He, Paul's not saying establish yourselves, but he's pointing to God's ability and God's faithfulness in doing that. Now, there's also an aspect that we see in the New Testament where other believers strengthen us. In fact, that's even earlier in the book of Romans. And and starting off the letter, Paul says that he's wanted to go see them. He's wanted to be with them for a long time, that he might strengthen them. That's that same word for established, to strengthen. Paul wanted to strengthen them. And even we we are called to strengthen ourselves in the New Testament, which is pretty interesting. In James chapter 5, Uh, James says, strengthen yourselves. But we recognize that through these means, it's God at work, isn't it? God uses means to accomplish his ends. And so whenever Paul says to the Thessalonians, for example, we've sent Timothy that he might strengthen you or establish you. He's not saying that Timothy's doing that apart from God or God's word, is he? He's not saying, uh, you know, Timothy, he's a really, really strong guy. and, And on his own, he's going to strengthen you. When James says, strengthen yourselves, he's not saying, hey, get yourselves all built up and strong and then you're able to go to God. That's not what James is saying. But it's through God's work, through God's power, through God's word that we look and we are strengthened. And God uses all sorts of means to strengthen us, doesn't he? He uses other believers and he uses his word. He uses uh, the faith that he's given that we might be strengthened. And whatever the means is, it's God's ability on display through the gospel. And that's where Paul goes here in verse 25. Him who is able to establish you, you catch this phrase, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Believers are always going to be strengthened by God through the gospel, through the preaching about Jesus' person and work, never apart from that. And it's, again, interesting that Paul says, this, in, this phrase, he uses this uh, adjective, my gospel, or this, uh, this possessive, according to my gospel. Why do you think Paul said my gospel instead of the gospel? And do you think there's a difference? No. <laughs> okay. Not a difference. Not a difference. That's good. He's
1: just selfish. <laughs> Paul is selfish. Yeah,
0: that's... That's what one commentator has said. Yeah. there
2: are
0: some people teaching? Different. Good. Yeah. There are other so-called apostles, right? Uh, Paul was combating people who would write letters in his name, even, and Paul's distinguishing himself from false doctrine, and and there is an ownership aspect where Paul is saying, uh, "I've been sent as an apostle." That's what that word apostle means. He's a sent one and he's sent with the gospel and he's owning the message that God has given him to impart to other people. But the gospel is the gospel, regardless of if you say my or not. Turn with me back to Romans 2, Romans chapter 2, just earlier in the book. I just want you to see this real briefly. This isn't the first time in the book Paul has said this. Romans chapter 2, I'll start in Verse 15. Paul's talking here about unbelievers and he says they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness in their thoughts, alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. And so this isn't the first time Paul used that phrase. And of course, that phrase isn't talking about some separate gospel other than what's been given to us. It's the same gospel. He just took ownership of it as an apostle. And so if we're going to answer how are believers strengthened by God according to the last few verses there in chapter 16, the first thing we have to say is through the gospel message that permeates the entire Christian life. We are strengthened by God through the gospel message and this gospel permeates the entirety of our lives, doesn't it? We don't do anything as Christians apart from the reality of the gospel, but we look to what Jesus has done, and we live responsively. Okay, not responsibly though—that's a part of it. Okay, we live responsively when we see what Jesus has done. We live in response to that. You can think uh, to the new commandment that Jesus gave us in John chapter thirteen. Who can tell me what that new commandment is that Jesus gives? Love. Love. Very good, very good. It's both of those phrases, love one another, but also as I have loved you, Jesus says. So we are to see how Jesus has loved us, and then we are to love others, and we are to love God and serve God in all that we do. And so we look at the gospel, which is not what we do. The gospel is what Jesus has done. We look to the gospel, and we live responsively. We respond to the gospel. We respond to Jesus' calling to follow Him by loving others as He has loved us. And we're strengthened in that. We're strengthened when we look to Jesus in all of life. And we must relate all of life back to Christ. This Christian life is very short-sighted if we're not relating all things in life back to Jesus. Okay, your life is going to be shorter. Your life is not like in a length of days. Okay? But your life is just going to be more short-sighted. Your life is going to be really truncated. Your view is just going to be really small as a Christian if you're not intentionally looking to connect all things in life back to Christ. We believe in in all of Christ for all of life. There's a Christian organization that has that as their slogan. That's a good slogan. All of Christ for all of life. That's what we want to pursue. James Stifler, in his commentary of Romans, he says this. Listen, Listen to how he describes it. A church is established when it reverently believes and says of everything just what the gospel reveals about these things. The heart is so unstable. There is so much inadequate and even false teaching. And Satan is so constantly seeking to undermine that God alone is of power to establish so that there be no swerving. The Romans are joyfully firm now, Paul knows, but divine power alone can preserve them in that firmness. And they are preserved in that firmness through the gospel, by relating the gospel to all of life. So the first way that we see, obviously from the text, that believers are strengthened is through the gospel message. But the second way is a little more complicated. Do you see it in the text? He says, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus. And what's the second according to in the text? Okay, the revelation of the mystery and the commandment of the eternal God. We are strengthened as believers in the mystery, in the mysterious body of Christ. Paul uses this word mystery in his epistles not a few times. This is the second time in Romans he's used the term mystery, which is important for us to examine, which we will in a moment. But what we can first grab onto is that we live in an amazing time in history, where as believers, God has placed us into something that Paul calls mysterious. And in the mystery, we are strengthened by God through the gospel. Now, I mentioned that he's used this word before in the book of Romans, and let's go back to that usage. It's chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, toward the end of the chapter, verse 25. Would someone read Romans chapter 11... Verse 25 for us. Just the one verse. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. All right. So here Paul is saying that there's something mysterious going on that Israel has been partially hardened until a certain time. And what's that time? The fullness of the Gentiles. Okay. So Gentiles are coming in. People who were far from God, people who were outside the promises and covenants of God, are coming into God's family. People who were once far off are now brought near. And Paul says this is a mystery. This is a mystery. That it's a partial hardening of Jews. Which means not just that some are hardened, but it means some are what? Saved. If it's only a partial hardening, not a complete hardening, well, that means some of them aren't hardened. Some of them have soft hearts. Some of them are coming to know the Lord. And you have Gentiles and Jews now in one new man, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, that the dividing wall that stood as the law between Jews and Gentiles, that's been abolished, is what Paul says in Ephesians 2. And together now, Jews and Gentiles worship Jesus Christ. And this is a a time of of the church, a time of the Gentiles coming in alongside the Jews. And in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, is there? In Christ, there is no ethnic identity that serves as an advantage. And that's a mystery to the Old Testament. A mystery, as Paul uses that word, is something that the Old Testament didn't reveal. It was hidden in the Old Testament in times past, as he says in uh, Romans. It was hidden before, but now it's been brought to light. In this age where Jew and Gentile co-worship in Christ without ethnic identity being an advantage, that's a mystery. And we are strengthened in that mystery. In the ministry of the mystery, the ministry of the church. As God is building His church, Jesus Christ building His church, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone of the church, we come together in the mystery and are strengthened in this worship of Jesus Christ. And there are two other passages I want us to look at. These are the only other passages where we're going to go outside of Romans, so let's just go there together. Go forward in the New Testament to that book of Ephesians that I mentioned, but we'll go to chapter 3. I mentioned Ephesians 2, but let's look at Ephesians 3 and see more of Paul's commentary on the mystery. And would someone read, it's a bit of a longer passage, would someone read Ephesians 3, verses 3 to 12? Ephesians 3, 3 to 12. Andy, go ahead.
2: By revelation, there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you cannot understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, very least of all saints, this grace was
1: given, to preach to the
2: Gentiles the unfathom unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring light what is the administration of ministry? Which for ages has been hidden in God who created up all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness <clears throat> and confident access through faith in Him.
0: All right, Paul used that word mystery again. A couple of times, maybe three or four times there in that passage. And there's even a section in there where Paul says, "To be specific, this is what the mystery is." Verse six: what does he, what does he define the mystery as?: That the Gentiles should be fellow of Christ's promise to the: gospel. All right. Gentiles are not having to become Jewish proselytes, are they? You didn't have to become Jewish before you could become Christian, did you? You were able to go directly to Christ and that's a mystery that Jew and Gentile worship together alongside one another on equal footing without ethnic advantage in Jesus. That's something that's not revealed in the Old Testament. Now to be sure in the Old Testament uh, there's, there's talk about Gentiles getting saved. I was just looking at Isaiah 19 this week. Do you know that one day God is going to say that Egypt is his people. And there will be harmony between Egypt and Assyria. And there will be a road that connects the two. And they will worship alongside one another. He'll say of Assyria, they are the work of my hands. And Isaiah 19 goes on to say, and Israel will be the third party among them. Israel, Assyria, Egypt, all together, worshiping together, but with those ethnic identities. There's a mystery in Christ in that there is no Jew or Gentile. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no advantage to one or the other. But we're all one in Christ. We're fellow heirs in Christ. That's what's mysterious, isn't it? Is that we didn't hear about this until the revelation of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And he has come and he's building his church. We see some specifics here in Ephesians 3 about the mystery Gospel believers are all one in Christ. That's what this passage says. You notice, too, that there's this word administration, at least if you're using the New American Standard. In Ephesians 3, the word administration comes up multiple times. The administration or dispensation of the church has been brought to light. It's a new administration. It's a new era. And then, finally, we are strengthened as participants in this mystery. And that's, again, hearkening back to Romans 16, where it says we are strengthened in the mystery. One more passage I want us to look at, though, is Colossians 2, where Paul talks about the mystery. Colossians chapter 2, and we'll look at uh, actually the end of chapter 1 and go to chapter 2, verse 3. Let someone read that passage for us. Colossians 1.25 to 2.3. Who's got it? 125 to 23. Any, any takers? Tyler, thanks.
1: Alright. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been made manifest to His saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we might present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power which mightily works within me. For I want you to know how great the struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and
0: knowledge. All right. So Christ himself is God's mystery. We go to Christ to have access to all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's, oh man, I just love that verse. Every time I see that verse... I just say I love that verse. In Christ are found all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. That is so amazing. But Paul started off this section back at the end of chapter 1 by saying that of this church, he was made a minister. Paul was made a minister in the church according to the stewardship from God that was bestowed on him. Okay, And in verse 26, he makes reference again to the mystery which has been hidden from ages past and it's been now revealed. The Son of God has been revealed to man in the person of Jesus Christ and the church is his body. We are in him and he is in us. That's what verse 27 says, that Christ is in us. And we are in this mysterious age of the church where we're brought together in Christ. The big idea is that This was kept secret for long ages past, but it's now revealed that we might know him and be strengthened in him, be strengthened in Christ. Robert Saucy says, the fact of the body of Christ in which there is neither Jew nor Gentile, bond or free, male or female, was not foreseen in Old Testament times. It is the mystery of the church age. And Paul says in Romans 16, our main passage for today, That according to this mystery, God strengthens his people. As participants in the mysterious administration of the church, that's Paul's language, in accordance with this mysterious age that we're living in, God is strengthening us by faith in Christ. Okay? Well, I think I'll pause there. We'll spend the rest of our time in Romans 16. But are there any thoughts or questions on all that mysterious stuff we were just looking at? I should clarify just in case it wasn't super clear. When I say mysterious, don't start ascribing your common usage of the term to that. We use the word mystery as something that's puzzling beyond figuring out, uh, something that's confusing or disorienting. Okay, Uh, But when Paul uses the word mystery, it means something that was previously hidden that is now revealed. That's how he uses it. And just because it's been now revealed, that doesn't make it non-mysterious. It can be known and mysterious at the same time. In our usage of that term, if it's known, if it's understood, well, then it can't be mysterious anymore. But that's not the way Paul talks about it. He uses that present uh, tense to talk about the ongoing mystery of the current age where Jesus Christ is building his church without reference to ethnicity. But any other questions, clarification points that I could provide or attempt to provide? Yes, Lizzie. Okay, (laughs) thank you. I wish more people would preface their questions that way. Yeah, um the 144,000 in Revelation 7, I believe. So are you asking what, what are you asking about them? Like your like the way that you're explaining
2: it seems like all of Israel will be
0: saved. Well, that's what Paul says in chapter 11 of Romans, yeah, all Israel will be saved. So
1: then what happens to the 144,000? The 100 are like about yeah. like how the says how the Israelite are
0: yeah. one. Yep. So the, um, the 144,000 is not the totality of God's work among the Jews. So we can't think of it that way. Um, the 144,000 are 12,000 from each tribe, which are listed out. That's a special force of Israelites that God is going to save and use in a special way. That's not the fullness of what he's going to do among the Jews when all Israel will be saved. Okay, So that's the first clarification point to make. The second thing, when we look at passages like Isaiah 19... Um, Amos chapter 9 is another big one. Um, Isaiah chapter 2, there are passages in Ezekiel and uh, other places. But these passages we're looking forward to seeing fulfilled in a future millennial reign of Christ, a uh, future messianic kingdom. Okay, the only passage where we get a millennium is Revelation 20. Um, but we get a lot of passages that talk about when Christ is going to reign on the earth. And we get a lot of descriptions of what that's going to look like. And we see Gentile nations being saved and being there among uh, Israel. And Israel having a distinct role. And there are, it's not that anyone is saved more than anyone else is saved. And it's not that anybody gets saved apart from the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. But in that kingdom, there are distinct roles. Just like in the church today, there's a distinction between men and women and the roles that men and women have. We recognize in Christ there's neither male nor female. Yet we also recognize that He's given different roles to men and women. And so in the future, there won't be a distinction in uh, worth or salvation status or anything like that between Israel and Gentile nations. But those those national distinctions will remain. We even see in the new heaven and new earth that kings of nations will bring their glory into the new Jerusalem. Kings of nations. That means there will still be some national distinction in the new earth. God loves diversity. So there will will still be diversity in the future, um, even in the new earth. But uh, there won't be any kind of distinction in, in salvation status, like the, the number one saved people and then the, like, the backseat saved people. That's not how that, how that works. So, Hopefully that addressed some of what was rolling around in your cabeza there. <laughs> Tyler, did you have a thought or a question?
1: Um, yeah, I was going to kind of speak to the same thing, uh, this whole idea of progressive revelation, how these uh, things were unknown in the, the Old Testament, but now they've been made revealed. There is this aspect in which we don't have all the answers to these teacher things in which we're still kind of in this area where, in this period where our eyes are veiled. and We don't have all the, uh, the understanding that we will one day have. We don't know all the ins and outs of the, the 144,000 evangelists, what it means that they're going to yeah. evangelize. Uh, that's going to be made more clear to us later. So while we can look back and can say, okay, well, we have a a more clear understanding. Now this mystery has been revealed. There are still ways in which um, we're in a veiled area of history.
0: Oh, yeah. Until things happen, we don't know exactly what they're going to look like. Right? (laughs) That's true for all of life. Now, God has given us insight into some things that are going to happen. But uh, even then, we can't fully understand... Things outside of what he has told us, we can only understand what he has told us. Okay, very good. All right, well, let's keep going in Romans 16. Turn back to Romans 16. Now the mystery has been made known, Paul says, and Christ's body has been manifested. I'll read verses uh, 25 and 26 again. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. Alright, so um, how has the mystery been manifested and made known to us today? Well, the first reason he gives is, By the scriptures of the prophets. You see that? By the scriptures of the prophets. And that's not the best translation of that. I'm a little bit befuddled as to why there aren't better translations of that phrase in our English Bibles. I think almost all English Bibles translate it that way. Um, But there is no the in the Greek. In Paul's writing, there is no the. And prophetic is an adjective. So he doesn't say... Prophets, as a possessive noun, it, it, it technically reads, by the prophetic scriptures, or by prophetic scriptures. You can take the out of there. By prophetic scriptures, uh, that this has been made known. And so, I don't want to get like too bogged down on that. I just want to mention that a better translation of that phrase is, by prophetic writings, or by prophetic scripture. Okay, So, it's, it's just very interesting. It's a very similar concept to... Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.20, you guys remember what 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, where Paul says, do not despise, do you know what it says? Prophetic utterances. Do not despise prophetic sayings or prophetic utterances. It's the same kind of idea here where Paul is saying uh, the, the mystery has been made known to us through the Prophetic. And he may have the Old Testament in view, but since he's talking about this mystery, I think he's talking about the work of the New Testament apostles and prophets. Paul is saying through the New Testament apostles and prophets, the prophetic scripture, we have come to know this mystery. It's been revealed to us. And so that's how it's been made known, number one, through the prophetic writings, and number two, according to the commandment of the eternal God. You see that in verse 26, according to the commandment of the eternal God the one who is outside of time God himself is making this happen within time during this specific era during this specific age the one outside of time is now bringing about this administration within time the mystery has been made known to all nations the gospel has gone out and I think this is likely why Paul says according to my gospel because Paul saw himself as an apostle to the Gentiles Gentiles he was an apostle to the nations. All right? And so he's saying, according to my gospel and according to the eternal commandment of God, the word about the mystery is getting out. Gentiles, come. Come feast. Come drink without price, offering free salvation to those who were far from God. They don't have to become Jews, they can come to God just as they are by believing in Jesus Christ. There's an emphasis here on reaching Gentiles. The church is transcultural, isn't it? We hear that word "trans" a lot today, and we usually don't like that word the way it's used. But here, it's it's good. The church is transcultural. The church doesn't have one culture, does it? No. You go to some southern churches, and they'll tell you the church only has one culture, right? And it's ours. <laughs> that is just not true. The church is transcultural. The church is multicultural. The church is multi ethnic. There is no Jew or Gentile in this mysterious administration of the church. Okay? There was, there was a culture in the Old Testament where they had to be Jewish, but no longer. And uh, this is an aspect of the Abrahamic covenant. Again, looking at verse 26. That the mystery, the gospel, the church is being built across all nations. The, the gospel is going out to all the nations. You see that in verse 26 again. This is an aspect of the Abrahamic covenant, isn't it? Because part of the Abrahamic covenant is that there would be a blessing for who? All the nations. God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, in you all nations will be blessed. And we're getting a blessing. A great taste of that in Christ, aren't we? We are blessed in Christ because of the promise of God, which is now revealed, now made manifest on the earth. And this all leads to the obedience of faith. The end of verse 26. This all leads to the obedience of faith. Someone tell me what obedience of faith means. The obedience of faith. A lot of times we like to think of those terms not going together. It's either obedience or faith, right? You can't put them together. But Paul puts them together. Why?
2: obedience
0: Obedience to faith, okay. Any anybody want to share thoughts? Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus? Good.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think one of the most beautiful places to see this all come together is Ephesians two. I said we weren't going to go anywhere else, but we're going to go to Ephesians two. Okay, <laughs> we got time. We got plenty of time. Ephesians chapter two, the end of that chapter, not the end, the middle. Ephesians two eight through ten. So often we we memorize Ephesians two eight and nine. That's good, you should, you should spread around Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that amazing truth to everyone you can. But you you have to have verse 10 in there too, as a believer, to get the full understanding. Would someone read <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 8 through 10? Dean, go ahead.
1: For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may
0: boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works,
1: which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. All
0: right. Doesn't that just give in a, in a quick snapshot just a beautiful portrait of what the Christian life is? We are saved by grace, not of works. We have no boast in our salvation, right? There's no claim that we can make to our salvation or, you know, particularly important in these parts, or our exaltation. While we're here in Ephesians 2, look at verse 6 with me. It says that God not only saved us, but it says that He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Past tense. For the Christian, this has already happened. You've been seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Can you get exalted any higher than being with Jesus in the heavenly places? I'm pretty passionate about this point. I love, having, I love having this conversation with our neighbors. I mean, you can't get more exalted than you are right now if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. can't happen. It can't happen. And so to tack on your own works and say, that's going to climb me up higher, that's blasphemous. That is heresy. That, is, that, that shows that you don't understand the gospel itself because the gospel itself is this big picture where you have been given a new identity, you are in Christ. You're a Christian. You have Jesus' name on your life. And God owns you. And there are good works that God has for you to walk in them. As you're saved, and you're given a new identity, your calling is to live out who you are. That's Paul's message repeatedly to the Corinthians. This Corinthian church was so messed up, They were suing each other, they were sexually immoral, they they just had no understanding of unity it seems like from chapter 10 and chapter 14, they were so divisive, but Paul calls them brothers and he says that he's confident that God is going to bring them to the end, bring them through, because they were saved. And his message to them wasn't, here obey this law so that you can be exalted, that's not what he said. He he affirmed that God was going to finish what he started. They would be exalted. Now live up to your name as a reflection of God's love. Follow Christ. Take that name that you've been given and place it on every area of your life. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here to the Romans too, isn't it? That... God has saved you and he's going to establish you in the church through the gospel as you keep focusing on what Jesus has done and you apply that to all of life. You know, it, it can get mocked sometimes and sometimes for right reasons. The, the little phrase, pithy statement, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Okay. There are definitely wrong ways of viewing that phrase. But there are also right ways of viewing that phrase, aren't there? There's also a right understanding of we are to love others as Christ has loved us. So what is that other than thinking about how would Jesus want me to love these people? And, and you just pursue that. And in that, you're, you're living out the good works God prepared beforehand for you, and you're established in your faith. You're fixed in the gospel. That is, that's the big idea. So as we think about Paul's phrase at the end of Romans 16, now, the end of verse 26, this all leads to the obedience of faith. You could sum that up by saying this all leads to changed lives, doesn't it? The gospel, the building of the church, God's faithfulness, this message going out to all nations, this leads to changed lives. That's what God is doing. Okay? So now to sum up, and then we'll take some questions, but I've got a couple of blanks on your sheet there that you can fill out. To sum up what God is doing, Number one, God is at work in the world, isn't he? God is at work in the world by revealing Jesus Christ to all nations. God's at work in the world by revealing Jesus Christ to all nations, okay? Number two, as God saves people, He doesn't just leave them. As God saves people, He establishes them. That's what this message is saying, loud and clear. And He doesn't just establish them in unique custom ways. He establishes them through the gospel. Every single Christian this applies to you, God strengthens, establishes you through the gospel. Don't expect Him him to strengthen you in any other way. He strengthens you through the gospel because He's only glorified through Jesus Christ. We saw that at the beginning, right? He's only glorified through Jesus. Is He going to strengthen you outside of Jesus? No. He strengthens you in Jesus. And then thirdly, because of God's sovereign and gracious work, that he's doing in the world he gets all the glory because of God's sovereign and gracious work he gets all the glory okay the glory doesn't go to us the glory goes to God alone through Jesus Christ okay Well, it ended a little bit shorter than I thought. Um, So, questions, comments? Andy.
2: So, going back to that obedience of faith. Yeah. There is an aspect of Christian life where we work in conjunction with the Spirit, right?
0: No, yeah, there's cooperation for sure. Cooperation. Yeah. Sometimes... Whatever the opposite of cooperation is, too, right? Quench! Quenching! Yeah.
2: So, the obedience aspect, we are surrounded in every aspect of our lives by contrary philosophies uh, in this world, specifically here, certain contexts that are unbiblical and worldly. Yeah. Obedience of faith means that we hold grasp to that gospel as our only lifeline. Yes. Period. There is there is no other way of salvation. This yep. is the only
0: uh, Yes, Christ of the Bible. And for those yeah, those Christians who quench the spirit, who suppress the truth even as a saved person. I mean, this happens, doesn't it? On a very frequent basis. We have the promise of 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1 verse 9. If anyone sins, what? We have an advocate before the Father. Jesus Christ stands before us. He stands in our place. Jesus Christ is the one who is our advocate before God. And if anyone says he has no sin, he's a what? Liar. Liar. Oh, we remember that verse, don't we? If anyone says he doesn't sin, he's a liar. And the truth isn't in him. But for those of us who have sin, we appeal to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 7.25 says, because Jesus Christ always lives to make intercession for his people. Why is Jesus Christ still alive in the heavenlies right now? Making intercession for his church that he's building. That's cool. That's amazing. That's amazing. Andrew.
2: So can I share a personal?
0: Yeah, go ahead. No one else is clamoring to speak, so floor is yours.
2: I was in a very dark place when
0: Wasn't generous with, with his pu- punishment. No. Uh, no. Yeah. Well, nobody actually
2: was. Oh.
0: Yep. Yep. Steve.
2: I, I don't want to get you off onto a rabbit trail, but could you talk a little bit about mysteries that are revealed in Scripture
1: and mysteries that perhaps may never be understood
0: or revealed? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, so the one we're talking about today is, uh, is revealed, right? I mean, Paul explicitly says in the passage that that mystery has been made manifest, made known to us in our uh, Romans 16. And so the church has been revealed. Now, again, we still call it a mystery because mystery, as Paul uses it, doesn't have the same uh, definition as mystery as we commonly use it. Um, This was something that was hidden in ages past, but now revealed, and you're living in it. You're living in the mystery, so you can know it. But to use mystery in in the way that we typically would use it, the Trinity is a great example of something you're never going to fully grasp.
1: Okay.
0: How many gods are there? One. But how many persons does Scripture say are God? Three. So there are three gods. No. <laughs> You're passing the test. Good job. <laughs> Good job. Well-oiled machine in here. There are three persons in one God. Now, are you ever going to get to a point in your now eternal existence where you say, Ah, oh, I get it. I figured it out. No. Because you're still going to be a creature through all eternity, aren't you? You'll be a glorified creature with eternal life. But you're still going to be a creature who is limited. You're never going to become the infinite. There is but one infinite. And he puts that on display in his very nature by being triune. It just baffles us. And so there there are several things like that (laughs) that for all eternity we're never going to fully grasp and that's good. That's a good thing. Okay. All right. Well, next week Proverbs 18:17 is where we will be. Proverbs 18:17 uh, doing a little exercise there. And then again, uh, after that we'll do 4 weeks of church history together. And then October 16th, we'll have two adult Sunday school classes and more information on that will will come out. Okay? Let's pray and then fellowship some more. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, your infinite mercies and grace that we see revealed in Jesus. We thank you that we are in your church as believers in Christ, that in this mysterious administration, this mysterious time, that you're doing such a great work in the world, reaching all nations with your gospel and strengthening us continually as we remember what Jesus has done. God, help us to love you more, to serve you better, to just understand more of what you've given to us, that we would be faithful in the way that we live for you. We thank you for this study we've had in the book of Romans and all the lessons that we've shared in. Uh, This is just an incredible book out of so much that you've given us in your word. And we ask that we would take these lessons to heart and these truths that we've learned, that there would be life change as we walk in the good works you've prepared for us. God, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your kindness and patience with us that we experience every day in Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.